if we can share our knowledge, we can help them to save their communities, and that's invaluable. Welcome to Beyond the Wound, your source of leading voices for healing people. My name is Cassandra Huff, and you're just listening to Jan Rice, our guest for today's episode. Jan runs her own successful consultancy business, which sees her consulting in aged care, acute private surgical hospitals, private homes, and general practice. Additionally, Jan is one of a trio of experts in the wound education business, Wounds Are Us, aiming to expand the knowledge of wound care practices among clinicians and improve the outcomes of people with wounds. Jan trained at the Alfred Hospital and initially studied in plastic surgery, which led her into wound management. Completing her Masters of Wound Care, Jan has now over 30 years of clinical experience. Jan has authored papers, book chapters, education manuals in wound management and plastic surgical nursing. Jan has also held a number of positions on various wound advisory boards, and in 2021 was awarded the Queen's Birthday Honours with a member of the Order of Australia for her significant contributions to nursing, wound care and education. Jan and her colleagues received an Ergo APAC grant to help with the development and delivery of two educational videos focusing on offloading, an important standard of care in the treatment of diabetic foot ulcers. Today I spoke with Jan Rice about a successful project delivered in 2022 for the non-government organisation Interplast. We spoke about Interplast and Jan's affiliation with the organisation, the specific project and the experts who contributed to it, and those who will benefit from these newly developed resources. Finally, we talked about how the team accessed this funding via the Ergo Foundation. Wherever you're joining us from today, I hope you enjoy this discussion with Jan and it inspires you and your team to consider projects and opportunities to apply to the Ergo Foundation in the future. Jan, it's nice to have you here with me in studio today to talk about your project and the Interplast group, especially. First things first, and in acknowledgement of of the group. I just wondered if you could tell me a little bit about Interplast and your affiliation with the group and what you've done with the group in the past. I'd be delighted to do that, Cassandra. I've been involved with Interplast since about 1980 and I've been on more than 20 trips as a volunteer in the Pacific region. I've done places like Fiji, Samoa, Cook Islands, Solomon Islands, Bangladesh, and my two countries really currently still stay as Papua New Guinea and Bangladesh. Interplast was a, a brain, it actually is Interplast Australia New Zealand, but it did start following a plastic surgeon from America who went to South America and he found a little child with a cleft lip and palate in a chook pen. And the father had outcasted the child to the chook pen because the child looked so abnormal. He went back to his own country, America and raised funds to take the child there. And when he went back to get the child to do the repair in America, there was a line of children waiting. So Interplast International started that way. And then in Australia, of course, we have the same mission, and that is to try to help. Um, our logo is repairing bodies and repairing minds. And, you know, that's what we're all about, making sure that people can live a fulfilled life with whatever they've been born with. We try to correct 
uh, the abnormality. And that's where we start, really. We start with children born with abnormalities, but then we go into repairing damage due to trauma. We're not cosmetic in any way. It's all about repairing bodies and rebuilding lives. What an incredible group, Jan. It must be wonderful to work with them and to spend time in that Western Pacific region with them. I guess, though, COVID perhaps has ensured that you haven't been able to do as many trips with the group as you would have previously liked to have done. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Like everywhere, you know, we went into lockdown. Well, it certainly wasn't safe to send teams. Interplast is a very, very good organisation for making sure that we're protected wherever we go. I've even worked in Banda Arche during the tsunami and they would make sure that we were safe first. So our safety comes first. And so with COVID, of course, all programs were withdrawn. So we had to think outside the square like everybody else. And so the thought of webinars came up and it was amazing how the webinars were developed. We did them here in Melbourne. We would run them off. Surgeons were doing how to do a skin graft or how to do a flap repair. I was talking about wound management and what to do with bed sores or pressure injuries, those sorts of things. So all the Interplast team volunteered as we are. We're passionate about sharing our knowledge. And so, yes, we got webinars up and going. It was wonderful, just wonderful. That's great. So the care continued for these patients despite the fact that you weren't able to be in the Western Pacific region at this time. Yes. And for myself, I felt like the audience was actually more appreciative of the webinar. They were in their safe environment. So I had lots of questions asked, whereas when I'm in country, they're a little shy. So it was like the barriers were broken with the webinars we were able to share and speak to each other without any sort of restrictions. You know, it was, I found them wonderful. I really did. Yeah, great. And I guess these were, that the project itself was born from the fact that you were doing these webinars and working virtually with these groups. Is that right? Yes. So there are many things that we do that you need to demonstrate. And care of the foot is something with offloading that you have to demonstrate. It's not like you can just talk about what dressing to choose out of the cupboard or something. You actually have to demonstrate how to cut the felt and how to shape it and where to locate it on the foot, etc. So getting that vision across, you could do it with static slides, etc. But when we saw the opportunity to make videos and have, you know, our our wonderful team working and showing their skills and sharing their skills, we really did jump at the opportunity to apply. Yeah. Fabulous, Jan. And you talk about the team. I wonder if you could just tell me a little bit more about the team that you worked with to develop these videos. Yes. So there are four of us. I sort of took the back step. I just sort of supervised the script and made suggestions because I've worked in the areas for a long time. So I was the one who had the most experience from the region. And then when there was Amanda Taylor, she has her own private podiatrist, has her private practice in Wodonga. And then there's Liz Barr. Now Liz was, she's an amazing person. She uh, was a podiatrist, um, but has now joined the public health arena. And she's a major researcher in the area of indigenous health, particularly around diabetes and cardiovascular disease. So her contribution was invaluable. 
And then Kate Hillier at Wangaratta Base Hospital, she runs the high-risk foot clinic there. So three excellent podiatrists, all with amazing skills, coming forth under this umbrella to make this these two videos uh, to further educate people in remote regional areas where they don't have access to podiatrists. Fabulous, Jan. And you say they don't have access to podiatrists, these patients. I wonder, are they severely impacted uh, by diabetes and diabetic foot complications in this region then? Yes. So I work in the area over 25 plus years has certainly shown that diabetes is on the rise. We know India has the highest population of diabetics in the world. And then we see the complications of the diabetes. With regard to podiatrists, there are very few in the area. And so nurses take that on as a speciality. So we have to train up the nurses as well. That's where these videos will really help to educate really everyone When I was in the Solomons a few years ago, one of the students actually did not understand diabetes. It was just, I give the girl courage for asking the question, but we were all shocked because we thought a nurse would understand diabetes. So that night in our hotel room, I said, we've got to put on a play. It was hilarious, but... It got the point across. Wow, that's that's incredible, Jan. And I think what I've taken from from that is that they're real visual learners, like many of us, very visual learners. And perhaps these patients that have already sustained a wound to their foot, these diabetic patients, they would require one of the standards of care, which is offloading, which is what the videos are all about, offloading. Can you tell us why you chose offloading and, the st- and that particular standard of care in these instructional videos? Yes, we chose that because we see it as one area that has been neglected and misunderstood in the area. And we wanted to show them what they can do so they can work out. We show them the basics. We show them podiatry felt, which they can access, but some may not be able to. Some poor villagers and a a nurse in a remote island may not have access to podiatry felt, but they may be able to work out how to still get those principles using something local. So we chose that because we want to prevent amputations. If they get an infection and they require an amputation, they are now confined to their home forever. Their wheelchairs are not favourable in many of these areas because there's no roads, no footpaths. Walking sticks and crutches, you can't use them in these areas, the uneven surfaces, etc. So we wanted to prevent the amputations, save the foot. Yes, maybe we'll have a small wound and we'll have a scar, but if we can save a limb, we've saved a life. Great. And these instructional videos, I've noticed, Jan, do talk about alternative uh, options because, as you suggest, these patients may not have access to all of the wonderful resources that we have here in Australia. And so the videos really outline those options uh, yes. for these particular patients. And I guess the clinicians are quite able to adapt and, and work with these options. Is that right? Yes. So I know I, know I provided a photo of a, a local person wearing a boot protector, so a waterproof booth protector made out of rice bags because the rice is stored in a bag that's waterproof. Mm -hmm. So we're giving them the basic knowledge, the basic principles, and then I am sure 
they will come up with some wonderful strategies locally. Yes. I guess they have to be innovative, right? They do. They do. Yes. Necessity is the mother of invention, they've always said. Mm -hmm. And yes, they are very clever people when it comes to things like that. Great. And and we've given them the the stepping stones of where to start and the principles by which they need to practice. And tell me, Jan, you and your and the team received an Ergo APAC educational project grant or funding for this particular project. Can you tell me a little bit more about that grant in terms of the ease of being able to apply for that grant and, and what it meant for for the project? Yes, we're very, very grateful for the grant from Ergo, APAC, and we were all in agreement that offloading was something that really needed to be taught in the region. We got it all together and we're very happy when we were successful, knowing that we could actually produce these videos on budget. Jan, tell me, how did you find out about the Ergo, APAC educational grant? Well, from memory, because it's a little while ago and I'm getting old, but from memory, I saw a poster But Amanda saw something on LinkedIn and contacted me. And from there, we started a discussion. And that discussion broadened to include other people because you often think, oh, I don't want to do all this by myself. And so we got a little group together and we went from there. Great. And I guess that group really dictated the type of project that you were going to develop for the Interplast group. Is that right? Yeah, well, Amanda and I first talked about what could we do. Of course, me being a wound person would love to have talked about wounds and maybe something that I could do in the area. But we saw a need to run with offloading because we knew the implications of not offloading. We knew what would happen to someone in these areas if we didn't get good foot care going And so really it wasn't hard to convince me to give up my passion and move to another passion, and that was in the podiatry area. Yeah. Thanks, Jan. Jan, if you could think about future projects for this group in the Western Pacific region, what do you think might be some good opportunities to explore in relation to education for these people? Now, I think a dietitian could think about how can I visually educate these people about the food that they're eating and the implications of that food on their health later on? So showing them visually what rice will do in the system to end up then becoming a carbohydrate. I've thought of another thing, breast tumours. So I did run a program with Interplast on taking over breast models and teaching women how to palpate for nodes and getting early needle biopsies, which hopefully we could have a tumour removed before it became a mass. So somebody could come up with some other ideas like that for showing how to do self-breast examinations and encouraging women to do this. Really, the world's your oyster as far as your knowledge, sharing your knowledge. If you have a passion, you want to share that knowledge, then I really think anybody should apply for a grant. It doesn't just have to be a health professional in the medical, in the area of dressings and wounds. It can be a dietitian, a cancer nurse. There are many opportunities there. And I guess those opportunities really need to be culturally appropriate for these people. And so does that change the way that you deliver your education? 
It does. So for a start, when I first started doing this years ago, all my wounds, for example, were on Caucasian people. So I had to start getting photos of dark-skinned people with wounds. It must be culturally specific, the same as breast self-examination. The ladies have very big breasts because they don't wear bras. So that examination changes totally when you're dealing with that shape of breast. So yes, you must be very aware of the environment you're going to take your education into. When you apply for a grant, when you see the opportunity to apply for a grant, it's actually nerve-wracking. And for a clinician or a non-researcher, it can be quite daunting. One thing I would say is definitely talk to other people and bring them on board to help you write your grant grant application because they've done it before. They know the words, the keywords to use, etc. I think you suggested there, Jan, about a researcher and research. But one of the nice things about the Ergo APAC Foundation grant is that it's not about research. Mm. It's a project. And so you don't have to be a researcher with that background in research to be able to apply for the grant. You just have to have a really good idea. Yeah, but to get you, you are right, and that was one of the attractions to to us, the poster and the uh, everything we'd read about it, that was very attractive. But to get it across the line, sometimes it, it it's the wording of the application. There are scientists out there who do grant applications every, every year, you know, and for many of us, we haven't been down that field. And you've got passion, you obviously sometimes blurt it all out. And um, it may not make sense all the way. I think Liz's skills in that area also really did help because she has been involved in so much work with the public health area. Um, She was very familiar with how we should structure things. Thanks, Jan. I think you've really answered this last question that I've got for you in that last discussion. If you were to ask the audience or to give the audience one little piece of information that we've talked about today, what would that be? Well, I just think sharing your knowledge saves lives. And if we can do that and make people's lives better in these regions where, you know, sometimes we have no running water. I've been to countries where we've had to work in the operating theatre and we have no water to wash our hands. These areas are resource poor. And so if we can share our knowledge, we can help them to save their communities. And that's invaluable. Sharing knowledge, saving lives. Thank you. Thanks very much, Jan, for joining us today. A big thank you to Jan Rice, our guest today. Her passion for wound care, education and training is remarkable. Jan and her colleagues considered a gap in education and sought to develop educational tools in the forms of two videos looking at offloading in diabetic foot disease for the Western Pacific region. Successfully winning a grant, they have now developed and delivered this project which I am sure will prove extremely beneficial to the Western Pacific region, its clinicians and their patients. We hope Jan and the team have inspired you to consider a project or innovation aimed at improving diabetic foot ulcer prevention and management. To find out more about Interplast and their work, the IWGDF guidelines that these videos were created from, and the 2021 Diabetes Feet Australia guidelines, please find the links in the podcast description. Additionally, if you'd like to go beyond and learn more about Wounds R Us, providing education in the wound care and management space, and the Ergo Medical website, 
We also have these links in the podcast description. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, we have some more episodes coming soon featuring Australia's leading experts in the wound space. Make sure you save us so you're reminded when we drop the next episode. Our next episode features Dr. Michelle Kaminsky, Podiatry Research Lead at Monash Health. Here's a sneak preview. See you next time. Encouraging even management or anyone that you work with really to um, have that sort of research culture inbuilt within your practice. Think about the patient, think about your experiences and and then think about the evidence as well. And I think if we can all try and combine those three things, um, we can create the most optimal patient outcomes from that.